Okay. Jennifer's evil. I know. No, I mean, she's actually evil. Not high school evil. Hello, friends. Grieve at the graveyard. <laughs> Frolic at the gas station. Hello, friends. <laughs> <laughs> Work with me. Hello, uh, friends. Hello. Welcome to another episode. It's our movie episode. And since we have instituted a schedule... And last episode was a fantasy. This one's a horror, which means the next one will be sci-fi. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi. In that order. FHS. News to me. Oh, we talked about it on the Forever what? Night episode. And you were like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Okay, well, here's a lesson where you don't drink three golden monkeys before we record an episode. How about uh, that? Two. Okay, well, it's enough. It's enough. We talked about it and you were like, oh, yeah, good idea. You know what? I have evidence. Listen to the episode. It's up on Spotify and anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Long story short, this is a horror movie, Jennifer's Body, released in 2009. And neither one of us had seen this movie. Nope. Nope. I remember when this movie came out and I thought, ah, Megan Fox doing hot girl shit. Because that was the mood of the era, right? Yes, it absolutely was. Yeah, Megan Fox. And this is a time capsule of the year after we graduated college. I don't even, yes, yep. But Megan Fox doing hot girl shit was kind of the the thing. I mean, she was doing hot girl shit in Transformers and Ninja Turtles and lots of different stuff. And so at the time, she was kind of the it girl. And I think that's why I was like, meh, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, we'd seen enough things where she was just getting like typecast as the hot girl. Hot girl who hot whatever. Hot girl doing hot girl shit, but who and could relate it. to dudes and that made her even hotter. That's literally all all of her, her entire yeah. character yeah. personality. Yeah. But I am happy to say she is phenomenal in this movie. Yes. We fucking loved this movie. Maybe She we... definitely played with the trope a lot. Oh, yeah. This was a playful movie. I yeah, loved she did it. A, she did amazing here. Maybe, and I'm just going out on a limb here, we don't like anything that gets over 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Because it's got a 46%. All right. For the critics. And audience score... 35%. That okay. is not earned. If you looked at that and you thought, no, this is probably a dumb movie, watch the All movie. Right, hot take. We finished this movie about 20 minutes ago. Yep. This was a really good movie. This was a good fucking movie. I the loved story it. was good. The execution was great. Yep. I loved every minute of this movie. The character interactions, the character chemistry was all on point. It was quotable. The soundtrack. Super quotable. The soundtrack was... Fire. It, Fucking fire. It was amazing. The the soundtrack was the music of our college years. Oh my God. I loved every minute of it. You know what? <laughs> this was giving me early 2000s, like underworld soundtrack vibes. You remember the early 2000s where we get all these awesome, like emo, hard rock, just like. Oh yeah. The emo, grunge. like pop punk, grunge. Mm, yeah. That whole genre. And you watch the yeah. movie and you're like, I got to go fucking buy that soundtrack right now. That's what this movie was giving me. Cause like Underworld, when that came out, every musical beat that they throw in there, every song they added to that movie was fabulous. And you loved every second of it. And it added so much to the movie. And you really got to re-experience the movie. I'll finish moving that okay. out of the way so I can see you. <laughs> hey, pretty. Hi, hi honey. Uh, but you really get to re-experience the movie just by re-experiencing the soundtrack. 
And I loved this soundtrack. But before we get too far into it, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we get our opening. Ooh. Wow. Thank you. You're so, welcome. So we get our opening, which is small town America, little little house, basically the house we live in, just a little ranch style house. And there's a horse in the front yard for some reason. An actual horse? An actual horse. I don't remember the Even horse. the caption said horses neighing at one point. Now, there's an actual fucking horse in the front yard, but it doesn't matter. It's metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> it's symbolism it's it's symbolism yeah so we look in the window and it's megan fox and she ain't looking good scratching a sore haggard haggard pale looking a little gnarly she looks over at the window and she sees amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. uh whose name in this is needy so she sees anita a needy. needy. Yeah, needy. And so she sees needy and then needy's gone. And then we kind of go, okay, whoop, 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 whoop. We need some context. So now the movie's going to give us some context, which uh, Matt pointed out the Fallout poster. Fallout Boy? Yeah, the Fallout oh, yeah. Boy poster behind Jennifer in this she scene. She also had, she had all the boy band. Yeah. Like the grungy, punky boy bands yeah and of I, the era oh yeah and i love the voiceover in this movie there's a there is a place for a good voiceover right i mean it's a good way of getting exposition in there it's a good way of continuing the um, momentum of the plot and giving us information without having to work it into dialogue a well done voiceover is is good it's good and this one is good Amanda Seyfried is giving us this voiceover, and it is really setting the tone. And she says, Hell is a teenage girl. And really, this is the character in the first act stating the theme. Hell is a teenage girl. And that's what this is all about, is that teenage girl angst and rivalry and, like, over-the-top, extra sexuality, and all of that, but with demonic position. Hey! Hey! Which just cranks that dial right up to 11. Yeah. It makes for a fucking awesome movie. And so we transition into Needy, which I don't think at this point we know her name is Needy. No, no. We just know to, we just establish that there's a voiceover, and then we switch to this character. Yeah. Who is the voiceover? Right. And she's in a. We she's don't, in like a psych ward. We don't know exactly what it is right at the beginning. It's a mental ward, it's a hospital. It turns out it's a prison. But she says that she has fans that write her every day because she's not really that alone. Um, yeah, we had to go on Urban Dictionary. Yeah. 
She, calls us, <laughs> she says she gets letters from Chester's. And we're like, what's Chester's? <laughs> we have to Google it. Uh, it's a sexually predatory man. An Chester. awkwardly, awkwardly sexually, sexually predatory yeah, man. Uh, so she says, you know, I'm kind of the shit. That's, that's the most appropriate definition I could find on Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you went on there. I'm not brave enough. So kudos to it's you. It's not horrible. As long as you don't click around. Yeah. You go, okay. Yeah. You, you you dive in for what you need and then you pull back no, out. No, you you just dip your toe you in for you what did. you need. Yeah. No deep dives on Urban no, Dictionary. No. No. You'll end up in a mental institution with needy. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll have seen too much. Uh, she's making a God's eye. That's what that thing she's making. Oh, yeah. With the with two the, sticks and the yeah, yarn. Wrapping the yarn. And then she puts on fluffy bunny slippers, which this is like a encapsulated encapsulated moment in this movie where we have set the entire fucking tone for this movie and it is so brilliant because we've gotten a little bit of creepy and then we got a weird voiceover and then this character who we have just realized is in a prison for what we don't know what about but we know she was part of the creepy stuff happening at the beginning puts on bunny slippers right and then she mentions uh, she says something to the effect of, and then the murders started happening. Yeah, since the murders started happening. And you're like, ooh, yeah, <laughs> I am in. So at this point, we don't know if Nothing. Amanda Seyfried, uh, Needy, is the one who committed the murders. Yeah. Or if she was just a bystander. I mean, we do because this movie was so shittily marketed, right? Um, Even yeah. then, I, I had no preconceptions about the the actual content if you had been the type of person who was keeping up with the hype for this movie you would have known already that jennifer was the bad character because yeah yeah but i i wasn't sure if needy was going to be like framed or if she was going to be like co-opted into participating Ah, in the murders that's fair yeah I, i didn't know how involved she was going to be in and i knew Megan Fox's character was some type of supernatural possession. Yeah. Because that was literally like the IMDb movie description. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. This movie was so, it spoiled itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know how much Amanda Seyfried's character was going to be um, involved or like inadvertently cooperating in the murders, quote unquote, that she mentioned in right. the voiceover. Uh, so that's that's where I was at this point in the movie. I was reading a couple of little blurbs about it, about why such a great movie is panned so widely. And one of the things they were saying is that the marketing team was predominantly male. And they really had no fucking clue how to market this movie. And they also spoiled it way Boobs! too early. Yeah, they also spoiled it way too early. Like, they started marketing this movie 15 months before it was released. Wow. A little That's bit like, like a Google move. A little bit like Black Adam. Remember how Black Adam, for like, I don't know, like two years, you were like, wait, that movie hasn't come out yet? I thought that movie was already out. Didn't that movie already come out? Oh, no, shocker. It didn't come out until forever. And by the time it came out, everyone was like, oh, it's finally out. But, oh, why does it suck so bad? Right. That, that was like how Google marketed Google Wave. Yeah. They, they came out. They started so it early. like a year ahead of time. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's this cool thing. We're completely like redesigning how email will work. Yeah. Uh, if we had to reinvent it today. And then, oh yeah, there's a beta. 
And then the wait list for the beta was so long. Right. And then by the time they made it open, everyone was like, we're fucking over this shit. Right. They didn't capitalize on the hype. Right. Right. You generate they all this hype. They let the hype run out. Yeah. And so, then it was after the hype ran out, they released it. So probably by the time this movie came out, everyone was like, oh shit, did that not already come out? I thought I missed it. Oh, it's out? Well, I'll wait. Whatever. And eh. so, yeah. And I guess they were even going to have Megan Fox do like interviews with amateur porn stars, amateur intimate film stars. Interesting. Which they were really just like, the point of this movie is the sex. And that is absolutely not the point of this movie. That's the, um, I'm trying to think of the right term for it. The term I'm thinking of is bullshit, but yeah. that's like the the technical definition, like the psychological definition of bullshit is drawing, like intentionally drawing your attention somewhere else mm. away from the relevant information. And yeah. And it, it's it's the like magician distraction. Yeah. Look over thing. here. Look over here. Yeah. Blah, 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 and then, oh, some cool stuff is happening. Right. And it just emphasizes the cool stuff that happens. Right. And watching the actual movie, they did that. Yeah. They were like, hey, sex appeal. Like, look over here. Oh, demonic possession. Yeah. The sex and sexiness is the highlighter. It's not the text. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that they they emphasize that at all. Totally. They totally missed the point of this movie. Right. They they kind of advertise this movie like, hey, this is going to be like softcore porn. Yeah. If you were going in as a dude. But then there's like no get, nudity. Hoping to get the Megan Fox you got from Transformers, which was the hot chick who knew how to fix cars. You weren't getting it. Right. She's a sexually empowered woman. Young girl, but let's just call her a woman because yeah. it makes me less com- uncomfortable with the whole theme of it. Um, she's a sexually empowered female character who uses her sexuality in a predatory manner. Yes. Which is the horror aspect of this movie because to a man, there is nothing more horrifying than that. Than a woman who is aware of how much power she has over another man. Like the the teenage sexiness. Yeah. Right. Like the the girl that every guy was like, oh, in high school there was this hot chick, and you know fantasizes about her. Yeah. And then oh, now we're putting that in a movie and we're advertising it as that, as like every guy's high school wet dream, whatever. Yeah. And then it turns out oh, she the character uses that to draw people in, yeah. to draw victims in. Yeah. And is successful except for the one guy who's in an actual uh, like deep relationship. Yeah. Which is good because hashtag not all men. Hashtag not all men. Right. So Anita is um, in prison. And so we're getting her view at the very beginning. And this is getting kind of our, she's our voiceover. We're also establishing her character a little bit. So we have a face for the voice. And she's chatting with us and she's carrying this tray through the prison um, cafeteria and she only has a Pop-Tart on it, which they call him a toastum, but that's all she has on there. And so this 
orderly slash counselor or whatever. Someone, some official in the prison walks up to her and she's like, oh, you've you only got to toast him. She's like, well, yeah, I like toast him. And she's like, well, you've only got one. That's no way to sustain energy. And she's postulating that the reason they have prisoners exercise so much is to tire them out. And she's like, but it won't work for me because I'm a kicker. It's in my file. And so, this <laughs> and so we get like a, a screenshot of her paperwork and it has at the bottom kicker written and underlined with like times. an exclamation mark. Yeah. yeah. So this lady walks up to her and she's like, just to toast him. And then uh, Needy kicks her across, like across the room, like into a right. table. Yeah, she falls halfway over, across she the room. This tube. is like a like high school basketball gymnasium sized room. Yeah. And she kicks her over an entire table across half the width of the room. Yeah. And she, and says, she spits out a tooth right. a, in a puddle of blood. Yeah. Yes. They, they did like just the right amount of like mm. bloody gore stuff. Oh my God. It it's was not like over the top, but you beautiful. get the, the implied violence. Oh yes. And so, um, needy says that, you know, since the killings began, I've gotten a little, loose around the edges which i loved i loved that line when she says she's a little loose right, around the, the like, edges the almost like deep introspection yeah of a person who's become really violent having to become aware of where they become out of control yeah that the known boundaries of herself have gotten a little blurred and right. she's aware of it. Right. And and she's just starting to like notice when she gets out of control. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when she's like, well, let me reel the tape back and tell y'all what happened. Flashback. Flashback. And so we get the nice car driving into the tele car driving into town, passing the town sign, which is my favorite way to establish the town name. And it says Devil's Kettle. And she's like, really, you'd think that's a sinister name, but it's named after a waterfall because there's this special waterfall that falls and it goes into this pit and then goes there's to nowhere. There's a whirlpool. Yeah. And it just drains into the ground and nobody knows where it comes out. And Even scientists the scientists. Have, yeah, scientists have dropped stuff. And, and so we have a little clip of some guy in like a hazmat suit dumping colored balls into the whirlpool yeah which devil's kettle is not a real town but this is a real waterfall in minnesota yes, there, there is a waterfall that they don't know it there's a whirlpool that drains into the ground it's called and a they don't know where it comes glacial out. pit or something it's like a pit left behind by a glacier but so this is, is it kind of like, a, is it on like a uh tectonic Plate, um, oh, I think this waterfall is C. I'm I mean, I think of, the pit, the swirling whirlpool at the end is CG, but it does go oh, down. Oh, it's absolutely CG, and it's kind it's It's, it's like, okay. It's 2009. Okay. It's 2009. It's fine. Um, it's good but I'm wondering if this is like right on a, what's the word? Like a seam, a tectonic seam. A fault like line? The, a fault line. That's You're welcome. What, um, I'm not sure. They just refer to it as a glacial pit. Okay. So the, that does, it's just kind of an aside. Hey, handy fact, guys. Devil's Kettle kind of sort of exists. Um, but this is the town that everything's taking place in. And we get some more establishing voiceover. And it's one of my... It, I love tons of lines in this movie. I'm going to say I love a lot of these lines because this so is when so well written. When we're watching a movie, Rachel's taking notes. And every once in a while, 
she will pause the movie to note the timestamp so that she knows when to go back and grab a little sound clip to put in the episode. It was like every five minutes. <laughs> it was so good. We were both like, wow, this is a, such a quotable movie. It is so quotable. But yeah. she says, Just two months ago, me, Jennifer, and my boyfriend Chip were completely normal people. We were our yearbook pictures. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing we more. were our yearbook pictures. Nothing yes, more. Yes, I love that less. line. Yes, that was so good. And then she's talking about how she and Jennifer were best friends because sandbox love never dies. Because they were best friends from the time they played in the sandbox together. So, yeah, so we have a few flashbacks to them in the sandbox. Yeah, and then we get our Megan Fox, like peak Megan Fox, 2009 Megan Fox. Um, oh, she's peaking again now, but this is like... Early 2000s peak Megan Fox. And she's got this little pink bolero sweater, which is like 2009 outfit encapsulated. Like super low cut jeans. Yeah. Midriff and. Yeah. Midriff like button up top, but then a little, an even shorter pink right, sweater. Right. Like every layer on top is shorter. Yes. Oh, <laughs> God. Yes. I love me a bolero sweater. I had so many. <laughs> uh, but. She um, she comes up and greets Needy. And this is our first kind of like, they have their best friends, but it's one of those, they're walking the knife edge of best friends and enemies. Where they're best friends uh, from Needy's point of view. And from Jennifer, she needs Needy. She needs her because she's not as good as Jennifer. And so she makes Jennifer feel better about herself. because She's not as hot and sexy as Jennifer. Right. So Jennifer says, what's up, Monistat? Yeah, they have a whole bunch of... <laughs> so she goes, it, not much. How of, are you, Vagisil? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the guy banter where you, the the sarc- the ironic... Uh, the, the ironic banter uh, yeah. where you're technically insulting each other, but... But... You you experience an emotional reaction to the words that I said, and then you look at me, and I'm smiling or whatever. I'm giving you enough nonverbal cues to let you know I was doing that on purpose Yeah, as a signal that we have such a strong connection. I know exactly how to do that to you. Right, which for context, Monistat and Vagisil are brand names for products that are sold to alleviate fungal infections in in your vagina. They're yeast infection stuff. So it's like a... um, Feminine hygiene. Feminine hygiene product, just for context for everybody. So they're calling each other like... uh, a vagina infection, like a vaginal yes. infection, a yeast <laughs> infection. Um, which this is another part where we are taking that slightly masculine thing where women ne- very rarely, I mean, like, hey, bitch, or whatever. I mean, we might play a little bit with the um, insult, friendship, banter, but it's not commonly at least displayed in media or it wasn't around the time of 2009. And so we're taking that little bit of masculine interaction and we're feminizing it. So we're taking that little bit of masculine right, and energy. We're taking the masculine behavior. Yeah. But kind of converting it in 
with feminine content. Yeah, we're flipping this trope. Right. Yes. Uh, so, and also just to note, the sexual tension between Needy and Jennifer makes this movie believable. And they they establish that really early. Early, like immediately, uh, like a, a almost sweet tension, like a sweet yes. attraction where they are genuinely attracted to each other, which over the movie blossoms into kind of a sexual tension. And it it is such a well done sub subtext to this movie and it just it adds such another layer to everything that's happening and it is so well done and so <laughs> right like so in the culminating scene yeah of their their sexual tension right it feels like wow they didn't have to force that at all no nope you're like ooh it just this is of, what I've been waiting it's for. It's so naturally developed <laughs> yeah. that it was like, okay, this was this was kind of where it was going the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And so this opening scene where they greet each other as Monistat and Vagisil is Jennifer trying to convince Needy to go with her to this quote unquote club. But it's not a club. She says a club is for places that are like a town with attractive people where they go and congregate. We have uh, a bingo hall with taps. With right. beer taps. And so she's like, come on, we're going to go see this this band. They're here from the city. They're going to be so hot. Or she calls them salty. Capital T, capital T. Capital T, capital C. The city. Yeah. And she says, I need you to be cute. Jennifer tells Needy. She needs her to be cute. Needy says, what that means is I have to be cute enough that I can be seen with her, but not so cute I overshadow her, which every woman knows that friend. Every woman has that friend yeah. or has had and so that friend. she unpacks that and i yeah. thought that was a really good just kind of experiential description of yeah. what it would be like to be that friend of you know the hot chick yeah. in high school she breaks it down extremely clinically she's like i can show my midriff i can show this but i can never show cleavage because tits are jennifer's trademark right <laughs> I just thought that again and so she's talking to needy is talking to her boyfriend chip and Chip's like, I don't understand why you like Jennifer, why you hang out. And she says, hurry before she gets annoyed. You always do what Jennifer tells you to do. No, I don't. It's just that I like the same things that she likes. We have stuff in common. That's why we're Biffs. You guys don't have anything in common. She calls them Biffs. Which is... Yes, a- she... <laughs> <laughs> And I love Jennifer's dialogue. Like Jennifer's dialogue is consistent and on point and concise and beautiful every single time she opens her mouth. And so there's a part. It is so coherent with the character. Yes. And there's a part here where she's talking to Chip and she's like, come on, you're totally jello. Um, This is directed by Karen Kusama. Oh, that's probably another. Oh, yes. It's directed by a woman. Absolutely. This is directed by a woman. woman. What Uh, what was it that was. Oh, okay. Here we go. Let's <laughs> let, let's go back to a previous episode. Um, we talked about everything, everywhere, all at once, a whole bunch. Yeah, we did. And our main problem was that the humor was, was dude humor. so like macho dude humor. Yeah, because it was directed by two guys. Yep. That whatever. Anyway. This movie, I could tell, 
was directed not directed by, by a like a macho guy. A macho guy directing this, it's a totally different movie. Or dude movie. bro. I guess I guess like frat dude bro yeah. has kind of superseded the macho guy. Yeah. But culturally. I think a guy with this movie in his hands um, the character's a lot more sexualized and it's not portrayed as power. It's just portrayed as like desperation. Yeah. And there'd yeah. be a lot more fan service. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad the woman, a woman handled this cause it's, it's beautiful. But after we have this jello line, which I just love and we get the sense here that Jennifer's a little abusive. She's a little abusive to needy, That this is a very, yes, um, absolutely enmeshment relationship. Where needy, ironically needy, is um, kind of enmeshed with Jennifer and Jennifer's larger than life personality. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the implication that I was getting from you is that Jennifer is the needy one. Jennifer needs Anita. Yeah. Anita is kind of okay on her own, but... She has all this history with Jennifer, which just kind of biases her toward, okay, I'll kind of go with whatever she She's wants. She's that person hanging on to the friendship long after she should have let it go. Yes. Um, which we've all been there. It's relatable. Uh, and we go to the bar. And, it's- and that's, that's why it comes off so well in the yes. movie yes. is because we've all had that friendship or probably most of us have had that friendship that has lasted for years and then it gets to a point where okay i'm i'm only still hanging out with this person for out of habit it, it's like the um the sunk cost fallacy like yeah. i've spent so much time and effort on this thing absolutely that it would be a waste for me to Leave it behind now. Which sometimes those friendships come through, right? I mean, we we weather being teenage girls together, and then we grow up, and we both handle our shit, and we grow together. Um, Unless your friend gets turned into an evil flesh-eating demon, and then you can't. That moment is stolen from you. Which it's about to be, because we just arrived at the bingo hall with beer taps. And so they walk in, they get the X on their hand because they're not 21. They're just teenagers. And they are circulating about the room, which they know just about everybody. And Right. It's uh, a small town. Right, because it's a small town. And Needy makes a comment like, oh, look, that's Ahmed, the charming The foreign exchange, exchange student. student. And Jennifer's like, oh, I wonder if he's circumcised. I've always wanted to do a sea cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> Her overt sexually, like sexualization of men in this movie is It's a just, mockery. Oh, right? it's, oh, it's beautiful. It's, that was a chef's kiss. I don't know if you heard it. Every single time. It's beautiful. Because yes. this is usually our masculine off, character. She is mocking the trope. Yes. Just every line. Perfectly. Timing. Perfectly. Intonation is awesome. The sexually predatory man who's portrayed as attractive and... Um, desirable. That's who she's playing, right? She, but it's yeah, it's the gender swap. But it's the gender swap that mo- that makes this movie. Yes. If she, if that character was male, this is a run of the mill. I've seen it a million times. Horror right. movie. But because we made this character female, and she so perfectly embodies 
that like sexual predatoriness. It's it's beautiful. So we talk about Ahmed, which is relevant. And, and she says every thought out loud. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's then we, no fil- she's not filtering anything she's saying. No. It's totally of the time. This is the cultural perception of what the like vapid hot chick would be thinking. Yeah. When she's walking around like evaluating the room. Right. Yeah. And so when some guy tries to hit on her, I think it's Craig. Craig. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, no. Craig thinks he's cute enough for me. Yeah. And he's like, oh, swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get surprise Chris Pratt. Surprise, which he's credited as Officer Rowan. Ah. But I'm wondering if there was a deleted scene. Well, where he says he's like one month away from being a, a police couple officer. months away. Yeah, which this movie spans several months. Right. So I'm wondering if there was like a deleted scene after she's in prison. Yeah. Where we see him again. Right. And I that's why so. he's credited as Officer Rowan. Well, he's Chris Pratt. He's in it for like five minutes. So clearly yeah. he's not Chris Pratt yet. But yeah, th- this was Chris Pratt pre-Parks and Rec. Yeah, and she calls him a small town gomer. Like gomer, gomer? pile. Gomer pile. Gomer pile. I don't know. Oh, that it's name. like a classic TV military police officer guy. Hold on. I'm anyway, she's just calling him small mic. town and bumbling what she's saying and so he kind of gets a sad look and walks away but then she mentions later that she's fucking a cadet so clearly even though she's insulted well, she, him they're still she together uses his, she specifically references his name when she says she's not a backdoor virgin anymore <laughs> yes. because of Rowan because of Rowan she goes which by the way it really hurts <laughs> I had to sit Gomer Pyle <laughs> is a fictional character played by Jim Neighbors and introduced in the middle of the third season of the Andy Griffith show. Yep. We a naive and gentle auto mechanic. He became a character, blah blah blah. Uh, the character was spun off to Gomer Pyle, yep. USMC in nineteen sixty four, which ran until nineteen sixty nine. Which, in case anybody didn't know, we live in the hometown of the Andy Griffith Show. I mean, home state. Yes. Mayberry is yeah. based on a North Carolina town, town in North Carolina. Yep. Everyone's all super proud it's of it, It's like too. 15 minutes from here. They have an Andy Griffith Festival. Yep. There's a police, police car. car drives There's a every Mayberry parade police car that's in the, every parade within like a 50-mile radius. And they play the God, soundtrack. Damn. Yep. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a moment. Uh, so I thought it was relevant that Jennifer is already referring to guys as morsels. She tells Needy, they're just guys. They're just morsels. Okay. So... Uh, from a like philosophy perspective, mm. whatever. Okay. Erotic comes from the Greek word eros, and eros is like one of the kinds of love, and it is the consumptive, like consumption pleasure. Like when I eat something yeah, okay. and it tastes delicious, it's that erotic. is an erotic pleasure. Mm. And the the sexual thing is kind of like I'm I'm consuming you. And 
Yeah. Like, so her referring to guys as morsels yep. kind of sets up this whole dynamic where she is, she's consuming the guys yes. for pleasure. Yep. Yeah. She also refers to them as salty. So she uses like eating and flavor and like consuming metaphors Even consistently throughout the movie. Yeah. She gets possessed. Yeah. And she also tells Needy that boobs are like smart bombs. Just, that was a great line. You just point them in the right direction and shit gets real. I think they need two groupies. No. No. Come on. Don't be so JV, Needy. They're just boys. Morsels. We have all the power. Don't you know that these things, these are like smart bombs. Okay? You point them in the right direction and shit gets real. <laughs> this movie is so wonderful. <laughs> and then after that, she, she goes up and talks to the band, which she's instantly smitten with the band because they're from the city. And the one guy's the wearing, city. The one guy's wearing guy liner. Like yes. She's in, in with this band. She's like, I think I, they need groupies. I thought I heard somebody actually use the term guy liner, um, Rowan. Ah. But I think he just said eyeliner and I interpreted <laughs> it as guy liner because guy liner <laughs> feels like a, a much thing. more a much newer phrase than 2009. We're going to look up the entomology of guy liner right here right now. Guy liner definitely came from like, the emo Hell yeah, subculture. But I don't think guy liner had made it into the mainstream lexicon uh in 2009 it was definitely after we got out of college comes from the goth and emo subcultures there's not really there's not a date on the etymology here anyway he's wearing guy liner that's what that's what matters we're going to retroactively apply the statement that he's wearing guy liner uh she's talking to the band jennifer's talking to the band and she just gets totally caught up in the moment she's like you want a drink i'll get you a drink so she goes to get the main guy a drink she's like we have a 9-11 tribute drink it's red white and blue but you got to drink it faster it all kind of turns brown and so she's leaving and needy's like well you can't buy alcohol and she's like it's fine i'll just play hello titty with the bartender hello titty (laughs) (laughs) right she's just she's mocking the trope and i love it it's beautiful it's so well done so the needy is playing on the pinball machine the pinball machine and she's listening to the main like the lead singer talking and he's like oh she's totally a virgin that girl is totally a virgin every small town has them he's they, like i grew up in a town like this i know exactly what they're every like. town has that girl yeah i think they think they're hot shit but they've never done anything like they've never had sex before and so needy comes over and she's like you're right she is a virgin and she's my best friend and you guys are talking about her like that behind her back and it's gross and so she turns around to confront Jennifer and Jennifer is coming back with two shots on her tray and they're Better both blue, red, red and white. Blue. And, and uh, Needy's like, we need to talk. And Jennifer goes, oh shit. And she looks and down at the tray. you can see the top layer of alcohol. One shot glass is higher than the other. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so she looks she- down and goes. Tower <laughs> one isn't full enough. Tower one isn't full enough. (laughs) And so Needy is like, those guys were talking about how you're a virgin. And she's like, what? I'm not even a backdoor virgin anymore. And by the way. Thanks to Rowan. Thanks to Rowan. And by the way, that hurts. I couldn't even go to flag practice. I had to sit on a bag of frozen peas. (laughs) 
And the name of the band, by the way, is Low Shoulder, which I thought was a really interesting name. Uh, but they start their song, and it's not bad. It's not bad. Their song yeah, that they're the singing. Right. It's okay. It's a little emo. It's a little generic indie band, whatever. Um, and fire breaks out. Like fire starts burning off on the side. Where's the sound guy? There's always a sound guy. I know, because I used to be the sound guy. (laughs) (laughs) And It's a plot hole. And so, like, retrospectively, they didn't have a sound guy. No. And I'm pretty sure the fire broke out from improperly hooked up equipment. It's intentional. The fire is intentional. You think the band intentionally... Yeah, that's why he looks over at the fire, sees it, and just keeps playing and smiles. I, I thought he was just so enamored. It's part of now. I think it's part of our whole whatever's happening. Part well, guess, of the part I of what they're he, doing. He is trying to seduce Jennifer as much as Jennifer is trying to seduce him. Right, because they have an ulterior motive. Right. Yeah. Like now, retrospectively. Yeah. That's I see that. But yeah. fire breaks out and um, people start trampling each other. It all get shit gets real weird. Real weird. Real. real <laughs> Shit gets real, real all of a sudden. So in this moment, Jennifer's making eyes at the lead singer. Fire's creeping up the wall. And then, oh, right. shit, He's fire's singing everywhere. the whole song, like Looking eyes locked her. on her. Right. So Needy saves Jennifer because Jennifer's in kind of a trance. So they grab, she grabs Jennifer and they climb out on the sticker toilet. <laughs> yeah, she opens uh, they climb the, out window. the window. Yeah. And so the, and then the lead yeah. singer shows up and he's just holding a cup and he's like, huh. It's like a whiskey on the rocks. Yeah, he's like, shit's going down, huh? You guys want a drink? And you guys want to go somewhere safer? Like my van? We need we need to go to a familiar place, and that feels like my van. And that feels like my van. And Needy's like, um, no, that is the start of a true crime podcast. I'm not getting in your van. Never go to the second location. Never go to the second location. And Jennifer's like, yeah, yeah sure. sure. I'll get in the van. I'll, I'll go in your van. Well, to be fair, she's a little bit in shock. But Needy's like Jennifer, don't don't go. This is ridiculous. And she's like, shut up, Needy. You're always pull, you're always stopping me from doing fun. You're stuff. holding me back. You're holding me back. And so she gets in the van, but she looks really scared. Jennifer, um, Megan Fox is a as a brilliant actor in this. Yes. The amount of nuanced emotion that she has to display while having absolutely no dialogue that would help her with this emotional right. yeah like, all the non-verbal conveyance here oh, it's wonderful is, she looks lost and scared and like shell-shocked when she gets in that van and they just slide the door shut and they drive off and needy gets the line about the lead singer I watched her get into that van and I knew something awful was going to happen. He was skinny and twisted and evil like this petrified tree I saw when I was a kid. And so then we have a little flashback to her like wandering around in the woods and there's this old like skinny, twisted, petrified tree. And I was like, wow, that that imagery with the description of that character. Yeah. That was, that was like literature level, <laughs> like reference. <laughs> that was so good. And then she's on the phone with Chip, which is the flip phone. Mm, I miss my flip phones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chip has a razor, Motorola razor. Yeah, he does. And so they're talking and he's like, well, what was the make and model of the van? She goes, I don't know, an 89 rapist. <laughs> 
And then she Which hears I really liked Anita Needy. Yeah. And Chip's relationship. Yeah, it was it cute. felt very genuine and uh resonated with me a lot. Yeah. You like Chip. You resonated you vibed with Chip. A lot. <laughs> I vibed with Chip. Yeah. Uh so she hears a knock on the door. Uh Needy does. And so she's like, Chip, there's somebody here. Oh yeah, this this is her at home. Yeah. And yeah, there's a knock on the door. I was thinking you <laughs> I had like a flashback to us this morning. We were kind of awake and then the doorbell rang and Rachel was like, <laughs> Did someone just ring the doorbell? And um and I was thinking, that felt like that was in a dream. I don't think I actually heard that. And then the doorbell rang again and it was some roofers. I mean, we were getting a that roof. That showed up like three hours early. Yeah, but still. Yeah, so she, it's a little bit different because there was no murderous person at our door, but she goes down. Yeah, so she's she's in her room talking yeah. to Chip on her yeah. cell phone, and then she hears a knock on the door. Yeah, and we get that nice horror movie moment where she opens the door and there's nobody there, and I was like, they're already right, we're, inside! We're, we're getting sure a lot of like far shots with mm-hmm. like the person slightly off center in the frame. Yeah, to imply there's someone else in the frame. Right. Yep. We're seeing from somebody else's or something else's perspective. Yeah. And so like we we get the shot from like backed up off of the bottom of the stairs looking up the stairs and then we can kind of see into the hallway and the next room and um, needy is at the top of the stairs, yeah. like really small in the frame, like getting ready to come down. And so we get the whole framing everything as, oh, here's this small little person in this big empty. Yeah, pretty world. much any time the main character. And they do a really good job like framing it up. Framing it yeah, up. Yeah, pretty much any time the main character isn't centered in the frame. We expect to see somebody else. Somebody is, else to balance their yeah, position. Yeah, which is why it works. Because we're like, oh, it's empty, but is it really empty? Human, humans are pattern matching machines. Yes. And so and that's this why. this is hijacking the pattern matching machinery. <laughs> yeah, that's why like in Harvey, which is another one of my favorite movies. Harvey, we do a lot of that. Where we put, oh, we put yeah. him off to the side to imply Should that there's. Should we do Harvey? We can do that as a fantasy. Uh, yes, it's it's it is technically a fantasy. I'm just yeah. wondering if it's maybe yeah, we've seen Harvey. it too many times. No, I fucking love Harvey. People haven't, it, and most people uh, I, haven't gone okay. back and watched it because it's an old black and white. That's I true. Mean, it's, and it's a lot of dialogue. It's dense. It's difficult to get through, but it's beautiful. Fucking beautiful. One one year for Halloween. Matt was Harvey when we were in college. Yeah. So we keep expecting to see Jennifer. We keep expecting to see whatever it was that knocked on the door. Because when she looks out, there's nobody. And then we see a shadow move behind her. Yes. And then she shuts the door and we expect to see Jennifer behind her, but we don't. And And then then she walks down the hallway and she opens the door to the basement stairs. Yeah. And so then the door is directly behind her from the camera's perspective. And Rachel was like, oh, she's right behind the door. So then she closes the door and everything's framed so that after you close the door, if there was another person right there... You'd see it. You'd see it. Yeah. So, like, she's kind of lower in the frame than you would expect if you were just expecting to look at Needy. Right. Anita. Right. But she's not there. But so Jennifer's it's another, not there. Ooh, so it's tension like, oh, denied. They moment. are... Uh, I, I told Rachel, ooh, they're breaking the trope. Yeah. Which is just... 
extremely well done right. filmography. So she, she goes in the kitchen and she hears the tap running. And she ends up walking over and turning off the tap. And then when she turns around, this is when we get surprised, Jennifer. And she's covered in blood. And her coat is all bloody and her face is all bloody. And she, we just get this long shot where we just see Jennifer centered on the screen. And she does this really creepy smile. Right. Bloody oh, man. Teeth. It is so well done. Yeah. It's you're cutting back and forth between Jennifer and Needy. Yeah. And every time you cut back to Jennifer, she's just slowly making the smile bigger. Right. And then you cut back to Anita Needy. And then you cut back to Jennifer and the smile just gets that little bit bigger. And I was like, wow. Yeah. This this is the point in the movie where I was like, wow, Megan Fox is doing an amazing job. Yeah. With this character. And so she gets done smiling at Needy, freaking Needy out, really. And she goes over to the to the refrigerator, rips it out, and like pulls out a chicken and starts eating the chicken and when needy tries to talk to her she roars at needy and then vomits all over her and then starts giggling <laughs> and it's just it's so our oh no point, shit's fucked up scene and it's done right this is this is the horror introduction yes, scene yeah the, because now oh, the world is fundamentally different than yep. you expected the, it to oh, be oh here we go the oh, here we go moment. And so Needy tries to run away and Jennifer catches her in the hallway. And this is a wonderful twist on the usual, like, this is usually a male and a female character. And it's right, a predatory and it's male predatory character. sexual male behavior yeah. toward the defenseless female. Except it's Jennifer pushing Needy against the wall and kind of running her hand up her side and grazing her breast and like yeah just doing the hitting all of the predator the sexual predator moments right. yeah so she gets like oh she grazes her teeth on needy's throat and then she disappears she runs out and right i thought i was like is she going to like give her a hickey or something no like she, a permanent mark which we kind of explain this later uh but when then we go to school and it's the next day. And the rumor mill is already turning. And Needy is just shell-shocked. And she's and sitting there. So there's a couple other characters in the classroom that are like, look at her. I, like, I heard that Jennifer and Needy were there. And they had to fight their way out with a machete. <laughs> and then the other person's like, yeah, look at her. She's not even moving. And so we're slowly panning the camera away as these people are talking. And then they're like... Yeah, that's called post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, I read about my it. My uncle had it. <laughs> my uncle was in Operation Enduring Freedom, and he came back and he didn't talk for three weeks. And then as these people are just rambling about whatever, uh, we get to Needy, and Needy is just frozen. Yeah. And she does a, a really good job of just conveying, like, I am shell-shocked. I am. I don't know what the fuck is going on, and I am traumatized. Like, I'm not here. Right. Mentally, I'm not here. My body's here, but mentally, I'm not here. My body's just stopped. No, she's remembering all the time she had with Jennifer. She's remembering them playing together in the sandbox, because sandbox love is forever. And then Jennifer shows up, and it's like nothing has happened. And she's like perky, happy Jennifer, like aggressive banter, sarcastic bantering with Needy. And Needy is 
not there for it. Yeah, Needy's like, what the actual fudge? Because she doesn't cuss. And Jennifer is like, come on. You have the tendency to overreact. Where's it at, Monastat? You are right. Yeah, why wouldn't I be? Because last night at my house, you, you were- You have a tendency to overreact. You remember when we were in Girl Scout camp and you totally thought that there was an earthquake, but it was just two guys with a ghetto blaster? And she seems completely normal, except she's being a bitch, but bitchier than usual. Right. She's uh, more being, combative than usual. She's being more malicious than and normal. So, she's, so she's making the... So when I was talking about teasing earlier, you make a mean statement, but then your nonverbal signaling, like your facial right. expression and body posture and everything like that, indicates play. Right. And... Here's another point where I was like, wow, Megan Fox is doing an amazing job because she's delivering the same line, may, the mean, sarcastic banter. But then her body language, she's not, she's not conveying, conveying the body play. language. No, no. It's like yeah. she's saying the words, but she can't bring herself to do the actions. And so it leaves the viewer unsure of whether Jennifer doesn't remember or if she's in total or denial. if this is actually Jennifer or not. Right. This is, is this Jennifer or is this something in Jennifer's body that has all of Jennifer's memories but isn't actually Jennifer? Right. This leaves us in this state of existential horror, which is what we want for right. a good You're sustained horror You're in that uncanny movie. valley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we get J. Jonah Jameson shows up and he gets a good line about like, guys, this isn't a time. This isn't a time for our usual rivalry. No way, Erickson ain't shit. Now more than ever, put aside your teenage concerns about who's a cool dude or who's a hoe. We can't let that damn fire win. <laughs> and I thought his, his, his Midwest accent was pretty good. Yeah, he's the only one trying for Until... Okay, that's a good point. Maybe yeah. that's why it stood out so much to yeah. me because he's literally the only one. Yeah, he's the only one trying for Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until he gets emotional. Yeah. So he's in the classroom and he's making this kind of speech to the students and then he kind of amps up the emotion and pfft, drops the accent. Whatever, it's fine because nobody else has the accent. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Needy tries to tell Chip about Jennifer after this. He, she meets up with Chip, and she's like, uh, shit's going on with Jennifer. She came to my house. She threw up this weird stuff. And Chip's like, do you, do you need to see a counselor? Are you, oh, yeah, they're, are you okay? They go up on top of like... That's it, later. It feels... This, they're just at their lockers at this point. Oh, okay. Because then Colin comes over, which is the emo kid with the solid 2009... OG emo vibe. I Chains, I knew this guy in high school. The the hair, all of it. He's got he's the whole the package. tie, the jacket, the like the guy who spends you know forty five minutes to an hour getting dressed up and mm -hmm. makeup done before you go to school, feeling his most authentic self. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But uh, it's... This was our era. That's why it resonated yeah. so much Ooh. with us, because we all... This was 
We were here for that. Yeah. I was there when this happened. I was I was at the scene of the crime for this one. <laughs> so Needy gets a line where she's like, oh, Colin, he's just so dark and emotional and stuff. And this is the part where Matt was like, oh, my God, maybe I'm Chip. Because Chip was like, I'm dark and emotional. This, this is where I I'm told Rachel, I, I completely resonate with Chip here. How are you friends with Colin Gray? I thought Colin Gray only talked to the dead girls. I just am. We have creative nonfiction together. He's a really good writer. He's like all dark and emotional and stuff. Oh. Well, I'm like that too. I mean, I can relate. You know, I'm not all obvious about it, like a poser. <laughs> well, I'm I'm the same way too. I just don't. I don't advertise it. I don't advertise it so much like a <laughs> I'm deep. I'm super deep. <laughs> and then Yes, we... me, the golden retriever. Yes. As <laughs> as Kate referred to me. <laughs> well, you are, honey. Uh, I'm, I'm dark and deep and emotional. You're a chocolate lab. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm the chocolate lab. No, you're not. You're, no, I'm not. No, you're not. All right, so then we get our nice heavy metal overlay. Just so early aughts, the like driving grunge metal. Yeah. As we're zooming in on this guy on the football field, and it's the beefy football player who was crying earlier. I don't, yeah, you know what? We don't really spend a lot of time portraying this as weak or weakness or anything no. like that. No, no, it's just like a, he's genuinely upset about his friend. Which, right. This was literally his, mm, his best friend. Which this is another Craig. Right. Which this is another good play on the masculine feminine flip in this movie because yes. Jennifer sees him crying and she pegs him as a target. The the main character, the sexually aggressive yeah. main character is like, oh, that one cried. Yeah, this is the emotionally compromised female character that the male character takes advantage of, except right. gender flipped. swap. Gender swapped, which I <laughs> love. God. I, know I we love keep, a good gender swap. I know we keep going on about it, but it's so well done in this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie or you're just listening to us rant about it, stop what you are doing. Go and watch it now. Pause the podcast. It'll still be there when the movie's over. It's at, every time we say it's good. I'm ge- I genuinely mean it. No one is paying me. Obviously, no one's paying me to do this. <laughs> so we get our nice heavy metal overlay. We have our beefy football player who's hanging out on the field, having an emotional moment, and Jennifer approaches him. And right, and I like, like how they they have her movement in this scene is uncanny. Yeah, it's good. It keeps us in that existential horror which is exactly what we want. And so she walks up, she appears beside him. She doesn't even walk up. Right. To him. She She's just walking toward him. him from the other side of the field, like slightly to his left. And then we switch to looking at him and he's looking slightly off center to his left. And then she pops in from his right side. Yep. She's suddenly there. And I was like, wow. And he's surprised as is the viewer. Right. And so she's like, are you sad about Craig? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm broken up about Craig. And she's like, feel my heart, Jonas. And she takes well, his hand like, and puts I, it. I saw I was the last person to talk to him like ever. Yeah. And so she takes his hand and puts it on her heart, which is not her heart. <laughs> it's her breast. Which, which we at, at the almost at the end of the movie, we have a. A callback to this scene, oh, yeah. Which I'll mention then. Yeah, we'll get but, there. But 
Don't don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I, I thought one of the other lines that popped out at me at this scene was, uh. She's like, yeah. And when I saw Craig, he said how he always thought how me and you would be such a banging couple. And he's like, he said, and he's like, banging. He's like, he said banging, and she's like, totally. <laughs> but then she puts she puts his hand on her quote unquote heart. heart. And she's like, feel my heart, Jonas. I think it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it works. He's like, well, obviously my friend wanted us to bang. That's the last thing he wanted. I can't, I can't deny his last request. So they walk off into the forest and they're like making out in the forest. And he looks around and there's all of these forest all animals. All the animals. Which is, like, which is like a horrible inverse Disney princess bullshit where like all these animals have shown up. Which is so impactful. Yeah. Right? Because and he's like, um, what? Is happening and she's like oh they're they're waiting and he's like what and she's and like and then she unzips yeah. her hoodie which is she which doesn't has have nothing underneath. underneath of it and of course he's like okay yeah fuck the forest animals forget what right. they're and at it's this fine. point if it was directed by a guy there'd be just a ton of boobs flying around yeah right right and so this is when i started thinking okay this is not directed by a guy right because we don't see anything it's all There's, implied yeah yeah which is great for Ooh, the plot. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, I loved it. I mean, boobs, great. Yeah, I love <laughs> whenever boobs show but up. But artistic like, absence of boobs. Artistic absence of boobs, Also yes. good. Also good. Good. Uh, yeah. F- just for the, the impact of the plot. Right. Right. I think if we'd thrown a bunch of tits in here, it's a different movie. It cheapens everything. Right. Yeah. It takes away the, I mean, I'm a, the I'm, only time there's any kind of boobs is in the, uh, when needy and chip are having an intimate moment. Yeah. There's like a little bit of side boob, but it really fits in. It, there's just a very innocent, like gentle sex scene basically. Yeah. Right. And they're just they're just having fun, being teenagers, being intimate, whatever. And so it fits there because it's not it's not just, predatory. It's not predatory, yeah. overtly sexual whatever behavior. It's just two people hanging out and they're naked and they're being kind of playful with each other. Plus these are young characters. It would have right. felt exploitative. Yeah. If we'd had too much nudity. Um, but so she does the like demon face. We get monster face from Jennifer. Yeah. So yeah. they're back back to the actual <laughs> scene yeah. that yeah, we're yeah, in yeah. in the movie. Boobs aside, we're back to the she gets she eats him and not in a good way, basically. Chomp, and we, chomp. And we hear screaming and the teacher, so, J. Jonah Jameson, hears the screaming from his car and he's like, and he's That's like oh, right. let it all out, kids. Just let it out, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but then it kind of goes on too long, and he's kind of like, uh, um, that was a little too much. I think maybe somebody's getting murdered in the woods. So then he goes and finds the body, and then we cut to Needy. And Needy has a ferret called Spectre, which is the only time we see this ferret, but I think it's really interesting. It's a little white ferret. Yep. And Low Shoulder is playing on the radio. So they've gone from this podunk 
I guess podunk. I can say podunk because I live in a podunk town. Um, we've gone from this like obscure band who was playing in this small town that didn't even have a real club to playing right, on the radio. Because that's the only venue they could book. Right. To playing on the radio. And they're being called the heroes of the fire. And they're talking about how they helped people get out, even though Needy knows they didn't do shit. They sat there and drank whiskey and then kidnapped a girl. And her mom shows up, which is this one and only time we see her mom in the movie. And she right. gets this really interesting speech where and she's she like, made I a had comment, a nightmare. She made a comment before about her mom was working swing, swing shift. shift yeah. yeah. And uh, she gets a really interesting like monologue about this nightmare that she had. One of my night terrors. Well, it's four o'clock, so technically you had a day terror. Mm, right. What do you dream about? I dreamed some bad people were trying to nail you to a tree with hammers and big stakes and shit. Just like JC. But I didn't let him get you because I'm a hard-ass, bored, tough mama bear. Okay, but... Someday you're going to call for someday me and I'm not going to be there. You, it's like something will happen and you'll be calling for me and I won't be there. And, I and that is some... Very subtle foreshadowing. It is. I didn't we, pick up on that. We also get some really interesting foreshadowing where she talks about she had a dream that people were nailing her to a tr- that people were nailing needy to a tree. Yes. Yeah. Just with, like with hammers and shit. Just like Jesus. She even mentions it. Just like uh, JC. Yeah. She says just like JC, and then she crosses herself. Yeah. So we get like a um, supernatural, like a hint. That needy could be something more than human or maybe come something more than human. Mm. Like Jesus was something more than human, I guess. So it's a little bit of like, mm, we're getting a very subtle imagery foreshadowing here, which you don't get until you watch the whole movie. And then if you watch it again, it would feel like, oh, I love a movie that knows you might rewatch it. And if you do... Here's There's layered references. Here's a little yeah. gift for you for flipping around and watching it again or for remembering that line. Uh, and then we get our naked lake swimming scene, which is, I knew of this scene. This is the one scene from Jennifer's body I knew about. And she's not, she's not really naked. She's wearing a nude bikini when they filmed this. Uh, well, I, rem- I remember seeing a story about like a, a clickbait article about this. Yeah. Um, there might have been an unrated cut. There's an unrated there cut a with a far sex shot. scene. There's an unrated cut with an actual sex scene. And they and cut there, it out. There was a far shot of her getting up on the dock from the lake. Yeah. That that's the main reference to this movie that I have. Yeah, because there was a mind. director's cut and they only added like five minutes and it was basically just a graphic sex scene. Yeah. And, and everyone it, it was, was like, basically nudity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Which I really appreciate that this movie didn't really have any nudity. It added a lot of depth. It wasn't the movie for it. It wouldn't right. have fit. Uh, which Matt did go, ooh, <laughs> when we got to the lake and she's swimming through the lake. And then she gets out. of this, this whole scene is really pretty. But then she gets out of the lake and she goes home and she calls Needy and she's dressed up and she goes, I feel so scrumptious. Oh, yeah. She's like... Just Which posing is more, in front of the mirror. More eating and edible yes. imagery. Um, just to add to her food language that she's been yeah. using to refer to the attraction. Consumptive the pleasure consumptive pleasure yeah. language. Yeah. Um, and then they get done. Oh, no. Needy. 
cuts cuts Jennifer off because she's getting another phone call. And Jennifer goes, I X you out. And she like does an X with her finger. And then she does the dramatic flip phone snapshot to hang the phone call up. <laughs> yeah. And Matt and I were both like, damn, I missed the dramatic phone click flourish of the flip phone. Yeah, it, you cannot just, dramatically hang up a smartphone. You can't. You can't madly push a, a button like a red invisible button on your phone uh, it doesn't it just doesn't have the but you can dramatically click shut a flip phone yeah the like where they and, would and automatically hangs where up you hold the flip phone out flat on your palm and you do the like click shut with your fingers right you can even do mm. with the flip phone you can even do two hands together and like clap it shut yeah or where they would click it shut on the, like their face or their leg yeah. or whatever but you just, you know, we had the cathartic, you could hang a handset up on the receiver. Slam. Yeah. You had, I mean, we had a cathartic moment with every phone up to the flip a phone. A physical release. Maybe that's why we throw so many, like characters will hang the phone up and then toss it on the bed or whatever. Because that's where you get your cathartic. Right. Yeah, I'm you, done. Need, you I'm need the physical release. Yeah. When you end, you terminating the conversation and you're distancing yourself from it. Yep. And so rather than having that physical movement and action, you have to literally distance yourself from, from the, the device. Phone. Yep. Yeah. So we've we've lost the dramatic phone click flourish. And we've also lost the commercial break cliffhanger. Well, R. now there's multiple phone models now that Ooh, are folding smartphones. It could come back. It could come back. Yeah. We'll have to look for it. And after she hangs up the phone, she sticks out her tongue and she burns it with a lighter. Oh, yeah. She sticks out her tongue and holds a lighter underneath and it chars. Yeah. And then she pulls her tongue into her mouth and she sticks it back out again and it's the char is gone. And she goes, I am a god. And yeah. She's on the phone with Which is our second, at this point. Our second reference to the fact our that- second supernatural second reference. Second supernatural reference. And she also says, this is the best day she's had since Jesus invented the calendar. But Jesus didn't invent the I know, calendar. And he's like, Jesus didn't invent the calendar. She goes, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back to the high you're, school. You're completely missing the subtext of what I'm trying to <laughs> I say. I know, God, you're, you're not listening to me. So we go back to high school and we get this really cool montage of time passing. And we get this cool scene where everyone's wearing gray and everything's grayed out. But Jennifer's wearing this over-the-top pink sweater with hearts on it and like big pink earrings. And she's the only thing yeah, in color. Yeah, they're big pink heart earrings yes like her heart which is broken or the heart that she just ate you decide which and we also get a picture of the beefy football guy whose name was not craig not craig craig's friend and then there's flowers all around it and to show the passage of time the flowers the towers, wilt. the flowers will yeah, yeah and fall over and the candles go out and it's such a great way of showing that time has passed i thought it was interesting the the candles where the flame was kind of flickering in real time, this was some kind of practical effect with the flowers. I'm thinking they must have had like a floppy stem with a string. Like if you pull the string tight, it stands up straight. And then they just slowly let the tension off of these strings in it the flower stems. Literally, they filmed the flowers with nothing in the middle. And then they filmed the you middle they, part like, and they just cut it all it together. You think they like screened it or CG it back together? Yeah. That would be my guess. Oh, okay. That's an easy, a split screen is easy to do. That's true. That's true. There, there was a very clear separation in the frame of yeah. the candles from the flowers. And but 
Needy yeah. says. So as you're slowly zooming in on this shrine yeah. to the football player, the flowers are wilting and the candle flames are flickering. Yeah. And Needy says that everyone has a tragedy boner for Devil's Kettle because they had so much <laughs> happen all at once. And then we cut back to real time. And we're in the we're in the the same classroom that we have seen most of our school footage from. Except one of the girls is now wearing a low shoulder t-shirt. Did you notice that? I did not notice so that. So subtly throughout the movie, we're getting the implication that low shoulder stars on the rise. And well, I remember seeing uh, a couple posters or a couple references, like maybe it was on somebody's like, ha- like hand drawn on like a girl's notebook or whatever. The line from the song that they sang. Well, it becomes their, their, their like song, like the anthem the woods, of their loss and like sadness that. or whatever. Yeah, through the woods. Well, no, there's that's the theme of their prom. It's through right. the trees. But I remember seeing it on on like a notebook and then on a poster in the hallway. And then when they're finally putting their prom together, there's like a big like wall where they have like balloons and whatever. Right, which this is um this is supposed to be showing us subtly in the background that they're getting better. Right. They're getting more and more popular over time. Right. Very quickly. Faster than they should, one might say. And they also have a song, which is Through the Trees, which has become kind of the unofficial anthem of Devil's Kettle's Loss and Sadness, because everyone now believes that they helped people out of the fire, which is why I think part of the reason that the fire was intentional, because it's part of their whole mythos. And so Needy's like, um, no, they didn't. I was there. And the girl who's wearing the low shoulder shirt says, um, it's true. It's on Wikipedia. It's on the Wikipedia. Low shoulder are American heroes? No, they're not. I was there, Chastity. They didn't help anybody escape the fire. I don't even know how that rumor got started. Rumor? Rumor? It's true. It's on the Wikipedia. And so they're releasing their single through the trees, and they're going to be donating 3% of the profits to the families affected by the loss from the fire. Yeah, and Needy calls out that bullshit. Yeah, Needy's like, what about the other 97%? I mean, we can all agree that's bullshit, right? That we're not getting that 97%. And Jennifer's with her, and Jennifer does not look good. Jennifer looks really rough. And she says, But you look really tired. Is everything okay? No. I feel like boo-boo. My skin is breaking out, and my hair is dull and lifeless. God, it's like I'm one of the normal girls. Are you PMSing or something? PMS isn't real, Needy. It was invented by the boy-run media to make us seem crazy. And they're walking through the hallway, and Colin comes to talk to them, and Jennifer's like, just ask me out. It's fine. Just ask me out. And he's like, well, I wasn't going to. She goes, yeah, you were. Go ahead. Make your pitch. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, um, I really enjoyed spending time with you We've been having class, a lot of fun in class together. And I thought maybe we could go see a movie. And she's like, mom, uh, maybe. And he's like, yeah, uh, there's a showing of Rocky Horror. And she's like, she's oh, a, I don't I'm not like really boxing into movies. Boxing movies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's not a, well, you know what, fuck it, whatever. And so she goes to So leave. he walks off. Yeah. And this is where we get our first, hmm, shit's up between Needy and Jennifer. Because Needy's like, 
but he's a nice guy. You didn't have to do that to him. And Jennifer's like, oh, do you like him? And Edie's like, yeah, he's, 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 he's a, a cool good guy. guy. He's cool. We're in classes together. And she's like, oh, okay. And so then she goes to talk to Colin, which we know at this point she's going to eat him. Right. And the only reason she is targeting Colin is because Needy likes him. Right. And so this is a way of getting back at Needy, even if it's kind of subconscious on Jennifer's part, which I don't think it really is. Yeah. So then she's like, hey, Colin, how about instead of a movie, you come over to my place tonight? And she goes, I just got Aquamarine on DVD, and I'm pretty sure it's a movie about a girl who's half sushi. I think it's a mermaid movie. Yeah. Aquamarine. She has sex with her blowhole or something. Yeah. <laughs> very like <laughs> dude line, which she even tells Needy. Um, of course, I don't like Colin. My dick is bigger than his. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we get Chip's line because Chip goes to talk to Needy and he's like, I went to Super Target and got condoms. <laughs> <laughs> Matt and I were laughing because it's supposed to imply that the coolest place in town is Super, Super Target. Target's a big deal. Right. And this is supposed to be like a rural, shitty, a rural, shitty Minnesota town. And they have a Super Target. That's how shitty you know they are. We don't even have well, a... No, no, no. He must have driven a long way right. to go to Super Target. We live in a rural town. And our perspective on this is the closest Target is an hour away. So he must have really gone out there to get these condoms which we find out are like really wanted that we find out they're like specialty they're like for her pleasure something (laughs) something swirl yeah it's supposed to make it feel good for the girl or whatever yeah and so now we get our concurrent sex scenes which is chip and needy and colin and jennifer yeah, I really, I thought this was. Yeah, and so we're flashing well back and forth, and we get this cool emo version of "I can see clearly now." I can see clearly now. The rain <laughs> I know is Rachel gone. was like, oh, I, re- I was liking this song," and then it went into like screamo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grunge, whatever. And Colin's all emo, fancy. He's got oh, his man, hair. He's clothed, so dressed up, and he's got the like impact resistant Motorola razor. Remember when all impact oh, resistant yeah. phones had the like. A checkerboard look to him. Yeah. That's what he has. And he goes to this row of houses that are all identical. And we get this cool shot from down the road of him getting out of his car. And, and walking across the street. Yeah. In this yeah. like clearly under construction track housing where it's all exactly the same house, all built in a row. And he must really be committed to being with he Jennifer. He gets to the front door. And it has like two by fours nailed over the door. Right. So you can't get in. And it's a testament to her appeal that he still goes through this house, even though it's clearly abandoned. So he climbs in the second floor. Yeah. No, he he goes up the stairs because that's when that bird flies at his face and you go, that's a big fucking bird right there. (laughs) Well, that's after he gets inside. Yeah. Yeah. After he gets inside. But the window that he climbs into... Is on the second floor. Yeah, he's committed. And so then he's going down the stairs and like a raven pops in. Let's go crow because then you're, that's a big fucking bird right there. (laughs) I'm going to do an impression. Caw, caw, fuck, I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. I thought ravens were bigger than crows. I think they are, but I wanted to use a crow quote, and so it had to be a crow, and Ooh, so I okay. just shoehorned that in there. Hold on, hold on. Relevant meme. I saw a meme the other day. It was oh, like, thank it God. It said, technically, a row has 17 
tail feathers. A crow. Or, sorry. A yeah, yeah. A, a raven, matter of opinion. A Thank raven you. has yes. 17 okay. tail feathers and a crow has 16. So the difference between a raven and a crow is a matter of opinion. <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. Yeah, I'm never cutting that out. Anyway, so we're flipping. We're going between Colin and Jennifer and Chip and Needy. And it's a very like the Colin. It's a big contrast. Yeah, the Colin Jennifer sex scene is extremely predatory. And Colin figures it out pretty quickly. He's like, this isn't even your house, is it? And Jennifer's like, uh, no, but it's, it's our, our house. house. We can play mommy and daddy. And he's like, well, you know what? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Until he yeah. sees a rat and then he's like, oh shit. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I thought you guys were kind of into that stuff. Death <laughs> and vermin and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I think we're supposed to get the impression that this is Needy and, and Chip's first experience together. Because they're like, she's watching him put the condom on and it's all very um, PC, I guess, vanilla. Yeah, it's a playful. It's it's, it's a like first naive. sexual experience moment. Yeah, innocent, yeah. right? Whereas Jennifer is clearly taking advantage of Colin because she undoes. Oh, she tells him she really likes him. He always gives her such a wetty, which I thought was a really interesting yes. phrase. And she also takes his pants off, and he has all these emo chains. And she goes, "Nice hardware, Ace." <laughs> <laughs> I my interpretation was she dropped his pants and noticed he had a boner. Oh, well maybe that too. But we're also getting the idea that Well, and then in in that moment he's he's not into it. Right? No. He's already like this is weird. This is weird. Shit's weird. She's up to something and he's trying to look for a way out. But he's already like got an erection. And so she drops his pants and he's looking for a way out. And she's like, uh, I can, your body is saying you're interested. Right. This starts to make it feel super non consensual. Yes. Which is what she says. She goes, I need you afraid. I need you hopeless. Yeah. That's what I need from you. And that's what she gets. And meanwhile, Chip and Needy, Needy is totally vibing with Jennifer. She's seeing Jennifer. She's seeing Colin. She is getting a like snapshot impression of what is happening with them. Right. She even sees the like ghost of the football guy sitting in the chair. And then she sees like demonic jennifer crouched on the back of the chair with the gigantic grin on her face yeah and she's making she's like panting because she's upset right, so yeah she's making like moaning panting noises yeah and chip who's on top of her in the middle of this intimate moment and he's kind of like yeah okay okay i'm, she's I'm doing in. a great job <laughs> <laughs> And then she starts screaming, and he's like, "Oh, oh, uh, uh, did I, did I hurt you? Are you okay? Did I hurt you?" <laughs> Which, aw, he's just trying to be a nice guy. Right? He doesn't know she's seeing her um, undead, evil demon. Okay, friend. so at this point, I was, I was thinking, okay, for some reason, 
Needy and Jennifer are linked. Yes, which they were earlier in the movie too, because remember there, she's talking to Chip and she stops and goes, Jennifer's here. And he goes, how do you know? And Jennifer goes, hey, from the bottom of the stairs. And he's like, that's so creepy. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So I I was thinking, but Rachel's first suggestion was, okay. So <laughs> actually, well, we're in, not there yet. It was, it was around this point in the movie. I think it was a, right after this scene. The, the like switching back and forth sex scene. Rachel was like, you know, I bet that band sacrificed her. And since she wasn't a virgin, it backfired. <laughs> and You're they're welcome. probably linked because Needy was actually the virgin. Yeah. And so with like the spell like attached to Needy as the actual virgin, but since it went through Jennifer, something was corrupted. Yeah. And so now Jennifer's possessed. I was thinking they were BFFs. Maybe Needy and Jennifer were soulmates. They could be. And they so have they the were, most chemistry of anybody in this movie. Yes. Yeah. So like they've known each other since they were children. They grew up together. They have been best friends this entire time. Like they have the strongest emotional and mental whatever like connection connection of anybody in this movie like that's probably why she's experiencing what the jennifer creature is experiencing yeah Uh, and it freaks her out so much that she gets up and runs away and she runs out and hops in her kia yeah and turns and chip is a little weirded out. Poor oh, guy. I mean, poor guy. And at this point, I was like, she doesn't oh, explain poor anything. Chip. <laughs> you were so Chip. Uh, but she turns on the car and through the trees is playing on the radio. And she's just like, oh, God. And so she, she turns off the radio like, real quick. I fucking quick. hate that song. And Jennifer shows up on the road as she's driving. And oh, she yeah. like jumps she's on the She's driving down the road and off the side of the road walks Jennifer. But it's like a slightly distorted silhouette of Jennifer. Yeah. And then she turns, and then demonic Jennifer drops on her windshield and breaks it. Yeah. And so she does some impressive driving. She tosses Jennifer off with her driving, and she drives to her house, and she runs in, and she's calling for her mom. Yes. But her mom's not there. So at this point, I was like, Rachel, this is a reference back to the mom's dream. Yeah. Where the mom said, there will be a time where you're going to call for me and I won't be there. Yep. And she's this like, Psh, it. whatever. I know. And so she runs into the house and says, mommy, mommy. But no her mommy. mom's not there. So she goes and lays down on the couch and falls asleep. That's the most crucial thing to do in this moment. And she's only asleep for a little while because she gets up to go upstairs. And she gets ready to go into her bed. But Jennifer's in her bed. Yes, she gets under the blanket in her bed, and then Jennifer pops up. Hey! Right, and Jennifer is wearing an Evil Dead t-shirt. Yep. Yeah. Needy's like, is that my Evil Dead t-shirt? I was like, (laughs) 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 Uh, And we get a nice, um, very believable lesbian love scene here. We get a culmination of this amazing tension that they have. It feels very uh, vampire 
scene. Oh, where seductive. She can't help her have, seductive energy. Yeah, she has this hunger and now she's with this person that she has like the strongest connection of any other person. And they like the hunger and emotional connection get confused a lot. Right. Yeah. That's part of the vampire trope is yeah. the hungers get overlapped. Blended. And so she's the the strong emotional connection she has with needy just kind of reinforces the hunger. And she's like, oh, I need to seduce needy. So then Jennifer is seducing needy and needy is like, okay. (laughs) And it's believable. It's believable. Well, however, whatever the intentions underneath were. This is a believable moment. And Needy's like, what am I doing? Holy so shit. I, I was thinking at this point, everybody should have, any viewer should have noticed, okay, this isn't Jennifer anymore. Right. This is Jennifer's body. Yeah. And there's something acting in there. And what a great name for the movie. Jennifer's body. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, when she goes and reads the occult books, which she's going to do in just a second, um, she says that the demon is living in her soul. So I think it's a little bit Jennifer, but it's also a little bit, there's a co-pilot. Right. And so... And sometimes the co-pilot is driving, and sometimes Jennifer is driving. For this particular scene, I was thinking, Needy has been feeling, whenever Jennifer's body has been having like a strong experience, Needy has been feeling like an echo of that. Yeah. And so now they're... In the bedroom together, Jennifer's body is trying to seduce Needy. Oh, so there. And Needy is kind of feeling that reflected back at her. That makes sense. And you're getting this like feedback loop of the the need to seduce the other. Yeah. And so that's why they end up kind of kissing and um, and then they lay down in the bed together, and then Needy is like. What the fuck is happening? Yeah. And Jennifer's like, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to bite you. Well, the first <laughs> the first thing she says is, whoa, I've never heard you drop the F-bomb before. Right. Because, of course, Jennifer stays consistently in character this entire time. Yes. And she's like, don't worry. I'm not going to bite you, but I'm going to explain everything. And we're like, oh, thank God. Good. We're finally getting our explanation. This is an hour into the movie. Yeah, an and, hour into our makes, hour and a half long movie. She says something about um, feeling empty. Yeah. Which I'm fine. I'm completely fine with the long, the length it takes us to get here. It's I've, like the slow reveal of the monster. Right. I feel like if we had found this out too soon, it would have, the rest it of it would have felt, yeah, yeah, drudgery. But this is the perfect moment to reveal it. Because Needy is getting to the point where if she doesn't get answers soon... She's going to fall apart as a character. And so Jennifer shows up and she's like, well, you're in luck. I have answers. And so she says, by the way, that band, they're evil. They're basically like agents of Satan with awesome haircuts. Okay, so you remember the night of the fire? I got really messed up. And those guys from Low Shoulder, totally evil. They're basically like agents of Satan with really awesome haircuts. And so when she made that statement, I was like, Rachel, you totally called it. You're welcome. <laughs> that's why watching movies with me is hard. I'm like, oh, that's what's about to happen. Yeah. And I'm right most of the time. Yeah. Which is fine. It's good. It's because we have similar beats, right? There's not very many news stories. 
I just want to see the stories I like told better. Right. That's what horror movies are. And that's fine. And it's good. I like it. So then we get our nice flashback of what Low Shoulder did to her. Not nice. Not nice at all. This is the most terrifying part of the horror movie. Because it's a helpless girl who has otherwise been portrayed as a sort of a predatory, powerful character. This is her at her most powerless. Because she's been taken by these men. And she's trying to get out. Yeah, she's trying to get out in any way that she can. Including reiterating that, of course, she's a virgin. Absolutely, she's a virgin. She doesn't even know how to do sex at all. Yeah, she's trying to figure out how to get and out. And sees she, all the occult books. Yeah, there's a skull and there's occult books. And she's like, oh, shit, they're going to sacrifice me. And so they get to Devil's Kettle. So they're way out in the middle of nowhere. And she tries to get away, but they just capture her. And they end, her tie, end up tying her to this tree and stabbing her. Or as she says, they go Benihana on her ass. <laughs> And then he takes the knife and he chucks it into the devil's kettle, which we earlier established. It will just disappear and we don't know where it comes out. Right. And so that's it. That's how she died. Which is a great strategy for a murder weapon. Right. And Needy's like, well, they, they killed you. And Jennifer's like, well, obviously not. I'm not dead. Look, at, I'm sitting right here. And she's like, and as long as I'm full, I'm fine. And Needy's like, um. What do you mean? Full. What do you mean full? I think she says, as long as I'm full, like right now. Yeah. She's like, I, and it's so some straight up superhero bullshit. Yeah. Like, hold on. What? Why are you full right now? What just happened recently that you are full right now? Yeah. And Jennifer's, she goes, what, why did I see you on the road like that? You were covered in blood. And I think this is the part where the Jennifer that's left can't bring herself to tell Needy what she has to do. And so she combats her way out of it. She's like, you need to get some help because you're seeing stuff. So her only defense right there. Have is, you talked to anybody about the dark thoughts that you're having? Right. Because her only defense in this moment is gaslighting. It's gaslighting Needy so that Needy can't see what she's really become. Right, distracting her attention, right. bullshitting she, her. She wants Needy to be in awe over the superhero she's become. Her prowess. But she doesn't want her to see what she has to do to keep it. Right. And we do get a funny... So the whole flashback is pretty bleak. But we get a couple of funny lines, a little self-read, a little uh, window into the... The music scene in 2009 and the way we were, <laughs> we were really shifting from, so this is the point where we were using a ton of like big name bands and stuff in movies. And we get this shift where using mainstream music became too expensive. And so they really started to use indie bands instead because you could get contracts for indie band music for far, far less Right. Which is when we get the explosion of the indie band scene. Like the movie Twilight, which came out in this year, has a ton of indie band stuff on it. And so the one guy says, we have to, he's like, man, we don't need to do this. Let's not kill this girl. And he's like, don't you want to be successful like that guy from Maroon 5? I don't know if we should go through with this. Dirk. Do you want to work at Moose Hoof Coffee forever? I don't, okay? 
you want to be a big loser or do you want to be rich and awesome like that guy from Maroon 5? <laughs> He's like, do you know how hard it is to make it as an indie band? The best we can hope for is to get on some shitty soundtrack of some shitty movie. Do you know how hard it is to make it as an indie band these days? There's so many of us. We're all so cute, and it's like if you don't get on Letterman or some retarded soundtrack, you're screwed. Okay? Satan is our only hope. We're in league with the beast now, and we have to make a really big impression on him. And to do that, we're going to have to butcher you and bleach you. And then Dirk here is going to wear your face. Relax. I'm kidding about the face. The rest is going to happen. Yeah. And then they all start singing eight six seven five three zero nine, and it right, just, Jenny because her name is Jennifer because her name is Jennifer, and this whole moment is so sinister, and this play on humor, and their lightheartedness in the face of what they're about to do, makes this so much more impactful than if we had tried for a solidly serious tone. Right, and I felt like it was the lead singer just trying to distract everyone from what they were actually doing by playing on, oh, we're a band. Like, we sing songs together whenever we do music stuff together. Hey, everybody, sing along to the song with me. Okay, we're singing along to the song, and now I'm actually going to do the stabby stabby while you're all, like, before, while you're all distracted so you can't interfere right with what i'm about to, to do. get you over the nerves so that we can yes. all move forward and become famous together so we can do this sacrifice to our dark lord or whatever yeah and if we had played this solid serious like completely serious all straight it wouldn't have fit the tone of the movie at all right it would have felt out of place but it ends up feeling even more sinister because of the little bit of humor that we throw in there and we then cut to that moment where jennifer first showed up in Needy's house. And we find out that she was so hungry and she could only think of Needy. And so she showed up at Needy's and that's when she vomited and tried to eat the chicken. And she almost killed Needy and she left. She ran away because she didn't want to hurt Needy. And she found and killed Ahmed instead. Poor which Ahmed. That's the first person that we saw Needy show an attraction to. She was like, oh, look, there's Ahmed, the foreign exchange student. He's so nice. And so Uh, even Ahmet, the one that she kills, sort of incidentally at the very beginning, is someone that was meaningful to Needy. And so the the connection between Jennifer and Needy is so strong that whatever is possessing Jennifer keeps getting pulled toward Needy. The the things that are important to this person that I have a strong connection and to. And I think it's an amplification of Jennifer's insecurities. Yes. Because she's jealous the of jealousy. Needy. Yes. Yeah. And so she's fluctuating in this moment between being honest and gaslighting Needy. And Megan Fox is doing a brilliant job of portraying this as less deliberate malice and more a defense mechanism. She doesn't want Needy to see the parts of her that are vulnerable. She just wants her to see that she's some kind of like superhero X-Men bullshit. Which makes makes me think of uh, like Jeffrey Dahmer, where he did all of that stuff because he was trying to find a way 
to get people to not leave him. Right. Yeah. And the rest was all incidental. Yeah. Horrific. Repugnant, but incidental. But he was just searching for that connection. Right. And as soon as Needy gets close to realizing what this is costing Jennifer, Jennifer leaves, jumps out the window. She's like, well, you He's asked like, me to you leave, want so me I'm to going. Leave anyway. I'm going. And then we go to the emo guy Colin's funeral. And there's all these emo kids at the one whole yes, side yeah, of the funeral. The is emo right kids. half of <laughs> Yeah. Of, of the funeral was all just super emo kids from the high school. Right. And then we get our obligatory research scene. We always have a research scene. Here it is. Which I told Rachel, in a world where this supernatural, paranormal, occult <laughs> Hang on, Pippin. Where this supernatural, paranormal, occult stuff actually happens, you would have an order of magnitude more uh, content, books right. and websites and whatever. And they'd be more about accurate. realistic, accurate events. Yeah. And so for someone in our world to go to the library and do some occult research, they're not going to find anything because we don't really have any uh like accurate realistic accounts of paranormal occult-ish things happening but in this alternate universe where you can actually do a sacrifice to satan for your own fame you would have there's recordings of that there would be good material yeah in your library about that even your high school library. Even your high school library. There'd be at least one book about it. And nobody believes Needy. She's trying to tell Chip, she's trying to tell anybody that Jen- what is going up with Jennifer, what is going on with Jennifer, and nobody is listening. Right. He's, he says, uh, Chip says, it's not that I don't believe you, it's I don't believe that. And she has realized that Jennifer is evil because... They tried to sacrifice her, but since she's not really a virgin, there was what she calls demonic transference, where some of that evil leaked out and became part of Jennifer and reanimated her, Uh, took over her body. And then it's almost time for the spring formal, the prom, the dance, whatever. I don't think we, I don't think we call it a whatever. It's just the dance. Right. It's just the dance. She's realized at this point that Jennifer is deliberately hurting people who are really, who have connections to needy. Yeah. And so she's trying to get Chip to not go to the dance. She's like, promise me you won't go to the dance. And, and he, so Chip is like, you're breaking up with me. He's like, so what you're saying is we're not together anymore. And she's like, well, not right now because Jennifer's murdering all the people that I'm with. And he's like, well, right. it's really dangerous to be someone that is close to me. Right. And he's and like, I want you to survive. So I need you to act like you're not close to me for a little while. Right. And he's not listening at all. He's totally not, not with her on this, even though she really needs him with her on this. He's not picking up what she's putting down. He's not picking up what she's putting down. Well, he's picking it up, but then he's calling it bullshit and just tossing it back. And we get the mom from dead like me. Because everybody's getting ready. We have like a prom right, Rachel was like, montage. Who's that? And I'm like, oh, it's the mom from Dead Like Me. Oh, God. We Aww. love Dead Like Me. If you haven't seen Dead Like Me, good show. Awesome show. Excellent show. It's 
concurrent. Yeah, it was around this time period. Yeah, it's great. The girl dies. She gets hit by a flying toilet seat from the uh, space station. Mirror. The space mirror, station yeah. mirror. And uh, she comes back as a Grim Reaper. Georgie. That's yep. her name. Yeah. It's oh, a great man, movie. that was such a good show. Um, and Chip says, Mom, I can take care of myself because his mom gives him mace because somebody has been targeting boys. So he gets girl's mace. It literally says girl's mace on it. And he's like, girl's mace? And she's like, it's still mace. He says, I can take care of myself. I've been, I've been using the Bowflex. <laughs> Which is reminiscent of Needy's line when her mom has the dream. Needy says, mom, I can take care of myself. Right. Yeah. But at some point. You'll call for me and I won't be there. Yeah. And then you have. Um, Chip. You have Chip's mom. And it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm conveying the same thing to you that at some point I won't be there to help you. But I'm going to provide you with a tool <laughs> right. to use in that moment. Right. And over this whole prep montage is a Panic at the Disco song, which Matt was like, is that Panic at the Disco? Because Matt would leave me for Brendan Urie. Maybe. If he sang to you, you'd go. If he sang to me. Yeah. Brandon, if you sing to me. Yeah. I'd go. You'd I'd go. follow you. Yeah. Uh, and Jennifer is ailing. She's not looking good. Uh, definitely this is coinciding with a moment where she feels not full because her hair Empty. is falling out and she's like crying as she's smearing foundation over her face, which is a wonderful moment where we're getting this. She is not entirely complicit in what is happening to her. Right. That her body is doing and demanding things that she's not entirely comfortable with. Which Gray. Gray villains. Always gray villains. If she had just been no more Jennifer, all demon, again, this doesn't have the impact that it does, knowing that Jennifer is still in there, and she's clinging to this life that she had. She made one mistake, and she died because of it. And now she's clinging to this life that she had, but really it's already gone. And it's sad but horrific all at the same time. And Needy has gone to the dance because in her mind, Jennifer is going to use this dance as like an all-you-can-eat carnage climax buffet. And so she's waiting for Jennifer to show up at this dance. But really, Jennifer has an, has an ulterior motive because Chip is walking to the dance by himself because Needy's left him. And he's like walking through the fog. Nobody drove him to the dance. His mom gave him mace, but then was like, peace, have fun walking the entire way to the school, kid. <laughs> and Jennifer shows up and she says, do you know what happened to Colin? Which she says Colin's last name, Colin Gray. And it was really interesting because when she was talking to Colin in the house, he was like, you don't even know me. You don't even know my last name, do you? And she was like, I don't need to know that. I just need to know silly. what's in your pants. She says silly. Right. But she did know his last name. It did matter. His death did matter. Well, and I'm wondering if that that was a, a difference in when she was with Colin, 
the demon was in control and more oh, prominent. Definitely could have been. But then when she was with Chip. Chip, it was more Jennifer. It could be. And so then Jennifer remembers more. Right. But she immediately goes into sabotage mode where she starts telling Chip that Colin yeah. and Needy were together, like intimately together, like a bunch. They were varsity level together, is what she calls <laughs> Things that. you can't even imagine. Things you can't even imagine. And back at the dance, Lowe's shoulder has shown up. And as soon as they to start... perform for free. Yeah. And as soon as they start playing, Needy is like, oh, shit. Right. Something's Needy, up with Needy Chip. touches her lips at the same moment that Jennifer is kissing Chip. Yep. And so she's like, oh, Chip. Chip. Jennifer, when she's talking to Chip in this moment, is already referring to him in the past tense. Did you notice that? And then she starts kissing him. And... Amanda Seyfried, who is really selling this role, starts running after them. And Jennifer takes it a little too far with Chip, and he starts trash-talking Needy, and it kind of breaks him out of this. So they're they're set to have their intimate moment right here by this tree. And he's kind of like, hold, hold up, hold up. I, I don't want to talk bad about oh, Needy yeah. right now. Yeah, Jennifer says something like, tell me I'm better than Needy. Yeah, tell me I'm better than Needy. That's and he's exactly like, what wait, what, Why? Yeah, hold he's on. like, oh, hold, what? Hold up. Is that what this is about? And she's like, actually, if you would like to follow me to this vacant, derelict pool building, that'd be super. And Chip's like, well, I'm not that out of it. And so, so she follows her across this long field to what was probably the pool for the high school at one point, but now it's abandoned and empty, which the sets in this movie are all banging, all of them. Yes. This set is amazing. And Hopeless is spray-painted across the poolside, which that's what she told Colin she needed him to be, was Hopeless. Right. And we get, like, fly sound or mosquito sounds, which we've heard right, yeah, several times. Right, yeah, he's, like, times. flicking flies out of his face. Yeah, um, and he's really unwilling to be led around by his dick. So I, I got the impression that he was going with her because they were kind of friends tangentially. And like the person that he's in love with, this is that person's best friend. And he could be like sideways checking in on what Needy was saying. Like, right. Okay, hold right. up. He's, he's Is here, Needy right? He's not here for the sex because right. she makes some moves on him. Like they get into the swimming pool room and they're sitting, they're just sitting there chatting. And then she's like, oh, I feel really empty right now. And he says, yeah, me too. And then she says something like, how about you just kiss me again? And he's kind of like, uh, no, like, like I'm not uh, here that for that. That was a moment. That moment's over, and I'm not here for that right now. And so she tosses him in the water, which is really creepy. Yeah. I hate water fight scenes. But we get a water <laughs> fight scene because Needy runs in, and Jennifer is snacking on Chip. She's, like, biting his neck. And Needy just launches herself into the water. Yep. And pulls Jennifer off of him. And she comes in through the window, which is a nice parallel to how they escaped yeah, out the window. she crawls the roots into the window. Right. Well, they escaped out the window at the beginning. And then she comes oh, back yeah. in through the window at this moment. And my first thought was, do you believe her now, Chip? But Jennifer is actually eating you. Do you believe her now? 
Uh, hopefully he does. But he throws Needy the can of mace. And so she maces Jennifer. And Jennifer vomits all over them. And then floats up into the air. And hovers up into the air. <laughs> and Chip's like, shit, she can fly? And Needy's like, she's just hovering. Don't oversell it. It's not that impressive. <laughs> it's not that impressive. And then Jennifer says, why do you always have to undermine everything I do? <laughs> this was so good. <laughs> this was so good because this is that climax of that friend, that girlfriend relationship where you were friends, but the other person was always just, they always had that slight ulterior motive where they were. Right. The one person was kind of comfortable enough with themselves to do what they wanted and then the other person was jealous of the fact that um, the other person could, like, had the capacity to just go do what they wanted. It's the you are not your best friend's best friend relationship. And, the, and it's such a fucking brilliant play on it because now we get an argument. You're a jerk. Wow, nice insult, Hannah Montana. You got any more harsh digs? You know what? You were never a good friend. Even when we were little, you used to steal my toys and pour lemonade on my bed. And now I'm eating your boyfriend. See? At least I'm consistent. Because she's still been taking oh, her yeah. boyfriends and eating them. Yeah. And and she's like, I'm I'm still socially relevant. How could I be insecure? Oh yeah, she she says, "Oh yeah, well that was 2 years ago when you were still socially well, she relevant." She said she was the snowflake queen. I was yes. the snowflake queen. And Needy's like, "Yeah, that was 2 years ago when you were still socially relevant." She's and then like, Jennifer's oh, like, "Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm still, still socially, socially relevant." relevant. <laughs> and then <laughs> And then Needy follows up with, "Yeah, and back then when you didn't need to take laxative to, laxatives to stay skinny. Right. And so Jennifer's like, I am going to eat your soul and then I'm going to shit it out. <laughs> <laughs> and so Dee Dee says, I th- she goes, I thought you only murdered boys. And Jennifer goes, I go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Chip stabs her with the end of a pool skimmer. Yep. And he pulls it out. And we could have had a dramatic emotional moment right here. But instead, Jennifer looks down and goes, you got a tampon? Because <laughs> there's blood coming out of this hole in her right, side. So, yeah. So Jennifer just like is moaning like Ugh! as she like three or four times, like as she pulls this pole out of her. And then she looks at Needy and is like, you got a tampon? And then <laughs> she goes, seems like, like you might be plugging. Yes. <laughs> seems like you might be plugging. Which I was mad. Okay, so I was mad at everything everywhere all at once for this same bullshit, right? But it's because the tone in this movie has been consistent start to finish. If we had changed tones in this moment and tried to make it serious, it wouldn't have been good. But this whole movie feels like one complete whole. It feels like it all goes together. Right. Because we keep each character so well put together 
and so consistent throughout the entire, if she had said anything else, I wouldn't have believed it. But of course she makes a terrible tampon joke. And so Chip is dying because he got munched. And so Needy throws him a bone. She's like, "Uh, I love you. He's like, oh, I love you. And then he dies. (laughs) Which I don't believe it. Nobody believes it. But it's what Chip needed to hear. And so it's what Needy says. Because that's the type of character that Needy is. And if she had done anything else in that moment, I wouldn't have believed it. And then we're back to the opening scene of the movie where Jennifer has left. She escapes while Chip is dying. And she's at her house. And she's still looking rough. Right. And she looks over. And Needy's in the window. And then Needy's gone. And then Needy is in her room. And we're back to the opening scene of the movie. Yeah. And Needy straddles her and she has a box cutter. And she goes, you know what this is for? It's for opening boxes. And Jennifer says. You know what this is for? It's for cutting boxes. Do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. <laughs> so good. God, the dialogue. Every every line in this movie, I want a t-shirt of. Uh, so they have a fight here, and Jennifer levitates them up. Anidi is desperately trying to stab her in the heart with this box cutter. And she looks down and sees that BFF necklace that they had, that they shared. Yes. And she rips it off. And it sort of... And Jennifer falls. And it kind of breaks their connection, almost as if this BF... We need to rewatch it and see if they're both wearing the BFF necklaces through the entire thing. I think they are. Because as soon as she rips the BFF necklace off, is she just sort of... She pulls out the necklace and that's when she says, we're Biffs. Yeah. And then she tucks it back into her shirt. So this is their connection and she severs it. Whether it's real, tangible, physical, whatever, she the severs it of by removing this BFF needy necklace. ripping the necklace off of Jennifer. Fully rejecting severs. Jennifer. Yes. Yes. And so we get a moment of memory montage, and then we get this cool, slow motion fall where Jennifer falls to the bed. and then From needy, Needy's perspective. And then Needy falls on top of her, and she stabs that box cutter through Jennifer's chest into her And heart. Jennifer says... And this, if any moment in this movie was the moment for pure emotional impact, it was this. But they didn't give it to us, and I love them for it, because Jennifer goes... My tit! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's, here's what I was thinking when... We've had a bunch of moments where something happened to Jennifer and Jennifer makes some kind of silly, absurd statement, like like shallow, vapid, you know, popular girl statement. Yeah. Right. Deflection. Here's my take on that. The demon, whatever, possessing Jennifer is kind of driving Jennifer from behind. And so Jennifer feels like she's doing everything on her own, but it's this demon just kind of directing her attention at things. And so when something crazy happens, the the thing is like, oh, well, I can't have Jennifer's consciousness paying attention to I got stabbed in the heart. 
let me distract, like point her attention at, oh, this has impacted my physical appearance. Yeah. What is the primary physical attribute that was affected by this? Oh, it wasn't my heart being stabbed. It was my My boobs being marred. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like any, and then she gets stabbed in the stomach and then, oh, there's a hole with blood coming out. Yeah. Oh, well, what do you do when you have a hole with blood coming out? You You stick a a tampon tampon in it. Yeah. Right. So it's directing her to the like shallowest possible interpretation of what's happening just to kind of keep Jennifer's kind of contained consciousness sane. Yeah. And that happens anytime there's something really crazy going on, her attention is getting just like forcefully pulled to the shallowest interpretation of what's happening purely to preserve her sanity. Yeah. So that the demon can keep using her to drive her body. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Because Jennifer says, my tit. And Needy goes, no, your heart. And just as Jennifer stops breathing, she's finally gone. Jennifer's mom walks in, finding Needy straddling Jennifer with a box cutter through her heart. And now we get to the meat of why Needy is in the prison. Because she was caught killing Jennifer and probably got convicted of killing all those guys too. Yeah. And so... She, we go back to the very beginning. She's in prison now. We've, we've come full circle. We're back to the beginning. And she's in that um, solitary confinement cell. Right. Where we left her because she kicked that woman. And she says, you know, though, I was bitten by a demon. Well, most occult scholars don't know that if you get bit by a demon and survive. You get a little bit of their abilities. And so she's like, I'm not me, and I don't know who I am anymore. I cuss. I hit people. I can float. I kick. I kick people. And she can hover. So we find her floating up, just like Jennifer could hover. Not fly. That's probably important because right. Jennifer It's not that fly. impressive. Not, not that impressive. And so she gets to be- And then she be, kicks the window. She gets to be super needy. <laughs> Saved nice that. one. Oh, I good, saved that. Good one. Uh, and she escapes prison, still wearing her bunny slippers, because she just kicks out the window, flies over, hovers over the fence. And as she's leaving, she finds the knife, because it turns out that the great mystery of where Devil's Kettle comes out is like a stream on the side of this road. Because there's balls, too, like the scientist yep. balls are there. And then the Bowie knife. And the Bowie knife that killed Jennifer. And so she picks up the knife. And, and so she's like, oh, we think, oh, this is the end of the movie. Oh, but no. no. Oh, thank you so much for not making that the end of the movie. because Breaking the trope again. Oh, it's so poetic. She gets in the car and it's the guy from Near Dark, which you remember him from Aliens. Yeah, he's the... Lance Henriksen? Yeah, uh, he's the guy that has... Um... Okay, so this guy driving the car... He's the guy that played Bishop in Alien. Right. The first Alien movie. And he plays in Near uh, Dark, too, which we're going to do. Yeah. And he's in a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's, he's one good. of those guys. Yeah. It's a nice cameo. You're like, oh, it's that guy. 
Yeah. Okay. So she gets in the car with them and they drive off and they pass a sign that says low shoulder because the sign yeah, of the as, road has a low shoulder. Yeah, as he pulls away, there was a sign right next to where he pulled over and it says low shoulder. Yeah. Which I thought was a really nice yeah. tie in. And then we see the band and they're like oh, and filming themselves. Hold on. She, he says, why do you need to go east to Madison? And she's like, oh, there's this band. So why are you headed east? I'm following this rock band. <laughs> Must be one hell of a group. Tonight's going to be their last show. And then we see the low shoulder sign. And then she goes to... Well, we don't see well, actually, her, but we cut to the at band. At this point, we just get like almost like a post-credit montage. Yeah. Of the band, like just rocking out at the show, and then in like their hotel room afterward, like doing, doing drugs, drugs eating and candy, whatever, doing yeah. crazy stuff. And then there's a knock at the door, and then there's a knock at the door, and then there's dead bodies, and then it crime turns, scene photos, and then it's like a forensics crime sh- sheen, yes. scene montage of them all like messy dead, yeah. And you're like, oh, good. And the lead singer has the Bowie knife through his heart. Yeah. So they got their comeuppance, which I'm glad we didn't just end with her getting in the car and driving off. I'm glad we got the full circle resolution of the actual bad guys who did this to her friend get killed. Yep. So rewatch score for this movie here at two hours and some change. Um, Rewatch score. Oh, it's probably like a seven. Yeah, it's high. I'd just sit down and rewatch this movie. I wouldn't even fold laundry while I was doing it. it was You'd good. actually pay attention. I want a t-shirt, a mug, posters. I want quotes of this movie just on everything, everywhere. It's so good. So uh, before we watched, before we started watching the movie, yeah. you were looking at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And it had like a 48% critic score and like a 30-something Yeah, 35%. Yeah. And he said, maybe we just don't like movies that have more than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's possible. We talked about how this movie was hyped up so much in a way that was so inconsistent with the actual content of the movie. A lot of people probably went to watch the movie with a very strong idea of what this movie was going to be about. And then the movie was completely different than that. Yeah. There's another movie where that happened. 3,000 Years of Longing. Well, that. Mm. But also, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Well, that was for us. Right, right, right. For us, Yeah. we went into Everything Everywhere All at Once thinking this is a, like... A serious, surrealist well, a fantasy. fantasy. A surrealist fantasy with humorous overtones. Right? Yeah. But if we'd gone into it thinking, oh, this is supposed to be a Just comedy. comedy. I'm with, going into With Ace surrealist Ventura fantasy three. elements. Yeah. It would have been a completely different experience for us watching it for the first time. Right. For Jennifer's body. Same thing. People went into the movie thinking this is going to be a fan service movie with some uh, like horror elements, but really this is 
this is like a real horror movie. Yeah. With the implication of a lot of we play with humor. We play with well, humor as part I, of I was the thinking the the sex overtones. Oh yeah. It was hyped up as this like hypersexual movie. Well, that's who Megan Fox was at this time. Exactly. Right. And that's I think that's why we like it so much because right. it's such a contrast to the perception at the time. Yeah. Versus the movie that they made at the time. And also 13 years ago, what we wanted in a movie was entirely different. This plays well right now. Right. It's this one of those things where it was ahead of its time. It was almost a movie out of time. It's like Final Fantasy 12. Right. The Final Fantasy Yeah, yes. the video game. Final Fantasy 12 the video game bombed at the time. Nobody liked it. Because it was so open world, so undirected, so differently played than any Final Fantasy before it. But it's been modified and released and re-released and re-released because it's fucking amazing. And everything about it that nobody liked when it was released is what makes it so great now. It has aged better than any other Final Fantasy number that I have played because it was so different. And because now open world is, well, we love open world. I mean, Breath of the Wild is amazing it's completely open world final fantasy 12 in a lot of ways is exactly the same as long as you're high enough level you can go anywhere you want to go there's no restrictions right as to where you want to go in the game some but not much and it has it is better now than it was when it was released right because perception has changed so it's very possible that that's in the you know i mean we think of 2009 as current but 2009 was 14 years ago. It was, yeah. it was a long time ago. And the way we perceived like the genre, not the genre, but the, the way we perceived the gender roles and playing with gender and playing with gender swapping uh, yeah. the, is the, entirely different. In 2009, this would have been combative, completely over the top, pushing the boundaries of, Gender roles. Yeah, and and gender play, swapping gender and playing with gender as an element of horror in and of itself. Yeah. And we, I think that that would not have played as well in 2009 as it does now. That's true. And her almost vulgar dialogue, her very atypically feminine, she doesn't play a soft feminine character. And in a lot of Megan Fox's other roles at the time, she is. Even if she's, you know, underneath it all, she can fix a diesel engine when no one else can. She's still like the soft, sexy, feminine woman on top of all of that. And this is in some ways a play on that character that she was playing in every other movie that she was in around, around this time. But I think this is definitely a case of mismarketing where they didn't know the movie that they had and they didn't know how to market the movie that they had. And then when it's released, it's not what people expect. And so because it's not what people expect, it gets a bad review. And then once people expect it to be bad, it's sort of a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. You go in expecting it not to be great. Do you have an award for this movie? No, I haven't had enough time to think about it. <laughs> Most humorous use of the word tampon? 
Oh, I, I just loved, probably my award would just be for pulling out all of those taboo female terms and using them in dialogue. Monistat, Vagistil, Vagisil, Tampon. She walks in and she's like, does it, why does it smell like a Thai restaurant in here? Have you two been fucking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pulling out all of the like. Yeah, and there were more. I mean, there's more, but playing with all of that like female shame words culturally. We view it as something that's shameful. And so she plays with that so much. Right, yeah. The the big thing about their banter is that they're saying things that typically two girls talking about that kind of stuff would just stop talking if a guy showed up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she would but definitely have But then they're saying it yeah. loudly in, in public. So anyway, if you enjoyed this chit chat, which man, we had this was the most fun we've had since Highlander. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, I know I've said that like fifteen million times, but it doesn't make it any less accurate. If you want to keep up with what you're doing, which we just did a horror, which means the next one is sci fi. So if you want to see what sci-fi movie we will be watching next week and then fantasy after that, feel free to come check us out on Instagram. That is at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I know it's long, but there it is. Strange and Beautiful Book Club on Instagram. I keep that updated for the most part. Uh, Actually, that's the only thing I really keep updated. We have a Patreon page. If there were more people on there, I'd probably keep that updated too. So boogie on over to the Patreon page. Um, You can join a tier on the Patreon page that gets you in the Discord. And if you didn't like Jennifer's body, you can tell us all about it. If you loved everything, everywhere, all at once, and you were wildly offended that we didn't like it, tell us all about that, too. This is your opportunity. All you have to do is go to Patreon and join the page. Uh, If you love us, like us, really enjoy, feel free to follow us on Spotify. That's great. Pushes us up the algorithm. Review us us on Apple. Review us on Apple or give us five stars anywhere you see our, our rating available. Um, it's great. It helps us, gets our name out there, gets more people listening to the podcast. The more people that listen to the podcast, the more we can do, the more we can play around and the more feedback we get, which helps us refine it, make it even better. Uh, if you don't like all of our banter, I'm sorry, it's probably not going to go away. It's one of my favorite parts about podcasts and I really don't want it to go away. I've had a couple of really good podcasts that I really enjoyed and the better they got or the more people that listen to them, the less they bantered because everybody got mad at them for bantering. And that's my favorite part. And I really hated that they got rid of it. Um, sorry, we banter. It's just part of who we are. So anyway, Instagram, Patreon, like and subscribe. I think that pretty Links much in the covers show notes. it. Links in the show notes. All the good stuff. All the stuff people usually end up on their stuff with. We're almost done with the pod lab. That's good news. Yeah, got most of the insulation up. Yep, we're just going to put yep. some walls some on it. some more spray foam to put in. It'll be nice and soundproof. We'll have a nice, crisp, clear place to go record. I'm super excited about it. Uh, plus, I feel super official just knowing that we have a place called The Pod Lab that we're going to go and record in. And we won't have to take the audio equipment in and out of our bedroom every evening. So Remember. <laughs> you got this. Hold on. Remember. Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye.
I used to work at Walmart in the photo center. <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> and one of the things that the photo center did at Walmart was for certain holidays, they would have like photo shoots for kids to come. And so it was basically Easter and Christmas. And so like Walmart corporate would ship the costume to the photo center and then somebody would dress up in the costume and then the photo center would coordinate all the logistics of getting kids to come sit on the person's lap and take pictures and then try to you know upsell people on, oh, get this 8 by 10 of yeah. your kid with Santa, whatever. Uh, I was the only one that would fit in the costume. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, first I was Easter first bunny. I was Santa. Yeah, and then you got to be and, the Easter Bunny, and then I got to be the Easter Bunny. I went and got my picture taken with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to keep the so, Easter Bunny hold, suit. That's the point of the so, story. Uh, yeah, after Santa Claus, they uh, we were just cleaning everything up. They threw away the Santa Claus costume, and then we did Easter, and we were getting we were cleaning up, and I'm like, hey, what? What do we do with the Easter Bunny costume? And uh, my manager said, oh, we code 17 it. What does code 17 mean? It means we throw it in the dumpster. Oh, can I keep it? And my manager just looked at me like, hi, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so many things. Oh, so many things. So, yeah, I, I used that costume so many times. I was like, I just want to wear it as like a Halloween costume. And she's like, oh, okay. Like nothing weird. Great. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You can have it. Absolutely. Uh, And so Rachel, North Carolina, Rachel made me like a three piece suit. You bought the pattern and we made, yeah, we made the three piece suit. Got you a hat and cut holes in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like wool. Yeah. And then I, we got a hat from a thrift store and cut holes in it. And so for Halloween, going around to all our classes, this was like 2007. I don't know. Everybody thought you were the Playboy Bunny. Yeah, I stopped working at Walmart in 2006. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, everybody thought I was the Playboy Bunny, except for one person, our sign language teacher. Yeah. She was like, oh my God, are you Harvey? Matt was like, yes! Finally, yes. One person 